I want to say like the few, the proud, the Marines, but it's not quite the same. Uh, it is a joy to be with you this morning, that we get to sing praises of our good God together, that we get to open up God's word together, that we get to be changed by God's word together. And in your bulletins is our sermon passage. And so if you don't have a Bible or, or you don't want to look on your phone or your tablet or something, I encourage you to just uh, open up your bulletin right to our sermon passage. But we're going to be in Psalm 51 today. You know, I've been having conversations the last few days with uh, a number of people who have been calling me and been saying, hey, we're not going to be at church for a while uh, because we're nervous about this uh, Omicron variant type of thing. And they're saying, we're going to check to see what's happening. We're going to be watching live stream. But, but man, we're, we're worried about this, so we're going to hold off. And, and, and something that we are always agreed upon in that conversation is that COVID is really infectious. And we know it because you can be vaccinated and still get COVID. But over the past two years, I've actually found something to be more infectious than COVID. And that's actually our attitudes. What I have found is that attitudes spread like wildfire. I think of my own kids, when one of them wants to participate in something and the others don't, man, it's really hard to get the other ones to do it also. Even if it's a great thing, right? Uh, that's also true in the Christian life. That our attitudes encourage or discourage other people from wanting to live the Christian life also. And so I actually believe that as Christians, we're called to live joyously because of what has happened in our lives through the gospel. And so our goal this morning is to take a look at what it looks like to have joyous living, not only as a part of who we are as Christians, but why it's a core value here at Friendship Baptist Church. That's our goal this morning. We're actually doing something a little bit different than what I normally do. Normally what we do is something called expositional preaching, where we uh, take the, the passage and, and we just preach it. And the, and the point of the passage is the point of the sermon. And, and while we're still kind of doing that, we're kind of taking a different angle at it. And we're saying, hey, uh, the last Sunday of the year, each year we look at a core value. And, and so really we're taking a, a, an idea, joyous living, and we're saying, okay, now where are examples of that in Scripture? So we're uh, expositionally going through a passage but, but it's really from a topic of joyous living, okay? So if you guys are like, Brian, that's not totally expositional preaching. I get you. I agree. We're just doing this thing today. So um, eat your popcorn. Thank you. That's right. That's right. It'll be good. It's good for our hearts. And we're going to see why joyous living is so crucial to us as a body and to us as individual Christians. So let me give you um, uh, a roadmap of what's happening. We're going to be looking at Psalm 51, verses 12 to 17. We're going to uh, break it up into kind of three sections, uh, a joyous salvation, uh, the call to sing praises, and a heart of love. And here's the big idea that we want you to walk away with, okay? So kids, this is the most important thing that I want you to get out of the sermon this morning, okay? Okay. We want everyone 
to fight for the joyous Christian life by repenting from sin, by sharing the gospel, and living all that we are to God. That we need to fight for the joyous Christian life by repenting from sin, by sharing the gospel, and living all that we are to God. And so let me pray for us, and then I'm going to read part of Psalm 51 for our hearts and ears. Let me pray for us. Lord, it's so easy to be anything but joyful. It's easy when someone steps on a toe or gives a bad look or sins against you or just waking up on the wrong side of the bed or forgetting the greatness of our God. And so, Lord, we pray that we would, in fact, not be grumpy Christians that nobody wants to be around. Lord, that we would instead be joyous Christians and that you would help us to do that by your word and your spirit through Psalm 51 this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So let me read Psalm 51, verses 12 to 17 for us. It's inside your bulletin, but let me read it out loud. David's writing this. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Well, we want to look at these first two verses, verses 12 and 13, a joyous salvation. All right, kids, how many of you have heard of King David before? Raise your hand if you've heard of King David. Okay, good, good. Yep, Dave's a kid too. That's okay. Just kidding, man. I saw your hand raised. Yeah, yeah. King David wrote the part of the Bible that we're looking at this morning. And if you've been in church very much, you know the story of King David, right? But there's usually two sides of King David that we think about. We think of David bringing down Goliath, bringing a rock to a sword fight and being victorious. We think of David, who is the shepherd, who then became the king. But we also might remember what happened when David became king. He wasn't being very kingly. And in fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, we read this, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Kings, because they were kings, went to battle. Kings represented their kingdoms on the battlefield. That's why they needed to be tall and strong as they led the other warriors into battle. But David, instead of doing his kingly duties, instead sent others to do his job. And David remained at Jerusalem. Friends, we need to see this morning that trouble happens 
when we fail to obey God. Isn't that always the case? Trouble doesn't always begin when we go looking for it, but also when we fail to live out the role in each of our lives. David remained at Jerusalem instead of going to battle, even though kings were supposed to go to battle. And the result was that he fell into temptation. He uh, harmed a woman named Bathsheba. And then if you guys know that story, he tried to cover it up and then he failed. And then he had her husband murdered when he failed to cover it up. And it all started when David failed to do what kings were supposed to do. Friends, sin always takes us to places we don't know, and we end up doing things we didn't originally plan. It started when David failed to go do what his kingly duties were, and sin always takes us further than we realize. Even if we don't know the outcome, it's better to obey where God's word is clear and then trust God with the details. And thankfully, David had a loyal friend named Nathan, a prophet of God, who in our scripture reading that Susan read, uh, confronted David about his sin. And when David heard about his sin, he was upset that it happened. And David was convicted of his sin against God, and he repented. And in all reality, to, for a king to be confronted about his sin, and for him to hear it, and accept it, and to repent of it, it's kind of a big deal, right? Uh, so often, we are not even kings and queens, and yet we think that we are above being confronted about sin. We think we are above correction. Oh, but it's a good thing when we are confronted and we hear out what is being said. So Psalm 51 is written right after all of this stuff happened with King David and Bathsheba, okay? Psalm 51, our passage is written after this. And in verse 3 of Psalm 51, David recognized his sin. In verse 4, David had a right view of sin. Uh, he said, my sin is ever before you, against you and you alone, O God, have I sinned. And, and we realize something from this. What removes joy as a Christian in our lives, it's sin, actually. The quickest way to forget God's work in our lives is by replacing it with a different standard of what is right and good. That's why David says in verse 12 of our passage, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then we forget when we replace God's word with a different standard of what's right and wrong, then we forget both of our need of God and of his great work of salvation for us. But the quickest way to remember God's great work is by going to God in humble repentance. That is the surefire way to be the quickest way to remember God's good work of salvation is to go to him in humble repentance. See, when David sinned, he decided he wasn't going to live in it. He wanted to remove it. In fact, even he, what he says earlier in Psalm 59, in verses 9 and 10, he says, Hide your face from my sins, O God, and blot out my iniquities. And then he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. David, when he recognized his sin, he wanted to be cleansed. He wanted his sins to be removed. He wanted his heart to be, clean, to be cleaned. And all of this is a work that is done by God. And so what do we see in verse 12 of our passage? That joy in the Christian life is possible again, even after sin, even after David messed up. Salvation is from God, secured by God, and given to us. And so God's work of salvation, then applied to us, is the greatest source of joy as a Christian. Right? To be someone who was an enemy of God, who wanted nothing to do with God, who flipped God the bird and had no standing before him. The Bible calls all that sin to be loved anyway? For Jesus to be sent to the cross to redeem us anyway? Boy, that's such a humbling joy reality. See, joy is not a channel that you flip to on the TV when you want to watch it, where you just sit on the sad channel for a while, then you want to be joyful, so you just flip to the joyful channel. No, joy is not a channel that you flip on the TV. It's the result of meditating on the work of God in your life. And so joy is something to work towards and fight for. Because the reality is that joy in the Christian life doesn't come easily because sin continues in our lives. Joy in the Christian life doesn't come easily when others sin against us. Joy in the Christian life doesn't come easily when there are things that the world battles for for our attention. Joyous living is something that we have to work for. And the way to continue to fight for joy in your life is by repenting from sin, as we see from David. Recognizing how we've rejected what God would have for us. And fighting for joy is continued then as we share the hope of the gospel with others. That's what verse 14 says. Verse 14 says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh, sorry, that's actually verse 13 I was looking for. I was like, that's not the right one. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. You know, it's interesting. David's not putting himself on a higher pedestal than others. He's already admitted to be a transgressor of God's word, which is why he repented. Friends, joy in the Christian life is grounded and then increased when we share the good news of the gospel with others. It forces us to think carefully and to speak clearly of the work of Christ on the cross. It forces us to think carefully and to meditate on that work of Jesus on the cross being applied to us. And so it forces us to consider God's sacrificial love. And so sharing the gospel with others actually has a way of deepening our own commitment to God for what he has done for us. So Christian joy continues to grow when others realize the work of God and return to him also. I'm not sure if you've ever seen someone who was a non-Christian who came to faith and said, I'm now a follower of Jesus. Man, it's encouraging. 
By the way, that's one reason why we actually do baptisms as part of the service is because I think it is incredibly encouraging when I see someone who's standing up there that says, I want to make a public profession that says, I am no longer my own. I do not live for myself. I belong to God. I am covered in his blood. He has saved me. And now I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. I think that's deeply encouraging to myself. And therefore, I think it's deeply encouraging to other people in the body. And so if you've been someone who's been baptized, every time you see someone up there, you probably remember parts about your own baptism and the commitment that you are making. And you remember the importance of following Christ. And so it's amazing when we see other people return to God. Boy, that has a way of growing our joy in the Christian faith too, doesn't it? Christian joy is God-given and grown as we continue to repent, as we continue to share the gospel with others, and as we see others come to faith. The Lord uses those things in important ways in our lives to see the value of continuing to follow him and the joy that salvation is. So Christian, our duty is to grow in joyous living. And the way we grow in joyous living is in repentance from sin. So don't stop repenting from sin. Because while you've been forgiven from sin's penalty, we still have sin's presence in us. <clears throat> so continue to repent. Continue to look upon God as needing to cover your sins and then rejoice when sin after sin after sin after sin isn't counted against you, but all of it has been counted against Christ for you. So each time, Christian, that you repent, you can feel a fresh reminder of the vast bounty of God's forgiveness. It's an endless supply. So humbly walk with God, not, not in form only, but with your heart because God brings incredible joy. We need to fight for the joyous Christian life by repenting from sin, by sharing the gospel, and living all to God. Let's look at this second part, verses 14 and 15, singing praises. Something we learn from Psalm 51 is that forgiveness is not something we grant to ourselves, okay? I can't just wake up this morning and say, man, Brian, I'm just going to forgive you as I look in the mirror. Mm, man, you just, you just need a dose of forgiveness. Here you go, man. No, it's only actually granted from God since it is God whom we have sinned against. Uh, David affirmed this earlier in verse 4. He says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And so since God is the only one who can forgive it is only God who can bring us salvation. That, that's why David says in verse 14, O God of my salvation. Well, friends, what is so great about being saved? What's so great? What makes it joyful? The reality that God is the maker and sustainer of the whole universe. And to know him is an incredible joy. But the reality is that we have not wanted to know God. We have rebelled against God. And so we've turned our backs on him. 
And instead of God destroying us for our rebellion, God loved us and sent his son to rescue us, ultimately by becoming our substitute on the cross, taking the punishment for our sin and rebellion, and he died on the cross. And then Jesus on the third day rose from the dead and promises forgiveness and restoration to God for everyone who repents from their sin and rebellion and turns to Jesus in faith. Right? Oftentimes I, I think of that song that we sing, um, uh, It Is Well, where, where that part, it says, My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're like, I came for the popcorn and that's okay. I believe that I come for lots of mixed reasons and I still think the Lord uses it in good, re in good ways. You know, the world says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But we have a God. Christians have a God that says, even when you rebel against me, Return to me and I'll forgive you. Isn't that incredible? So Christians actually possess the greatest hope of the world. Something greater than economic uh, wealth, better than, than environmental uh, cleanliness, better than anything else that the world says is most important. We have a God who says, even if you rebel against me and when you do, Return to me and I will forgive. And so Christians have the greatest hope in the world. There's no promotion, there's no pay raise, there's no new house, there's no new car that can even compare. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, won't you come to know the true joy in life by turning away from your sin and putting your trust in Jesus? Come to him in faith and he will forgive you, and you'll find the greatest source of joy you could ever have. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning. The call for us is to continue to love the gospel so that we will grow in joy. Right? When we think of the magnificence of the gospel, we realize that God is worthy of praise and that we should be people who have received this amazing gift, that we should be humble and amazed by it. But better than anything that you got under the tree yesterday, we have salvation. And so we are to grow uh, in Christian joy because as it's attached to our love for the gospel. In fact, we can be sure that if we have a lack of love for the gospel, we will almost guarantee have a lack of joy in our Christian lives. So continue to love the gospel to grow in joy in the Christian life. Right, evidence for joy in the Christian life can be seen every single Sunday uh, by whether Christians sing or whether we watch other people sing praises to God, right? Just as much as a good play in a football game elicits cheers from the crowd for those who are enjoying the game, so much more should be the praises of Christians who fill the church each Sunday as we cheer and sing the great work of God in our lives 
and as we wait for the arrival of Jesus' return. So Christian, do you sing? Do you stand in respect of God as we sing praises on Sundays? Or do you sing at times with all your might because God sent Jesus down to earth to be our substitute on the cross, his death, not ours. And he defeated death. And he was raised from the dead. And he brings forgiveness to us and promises life forever with him. Friends, God's work for us is worthy of our loudest praise. So what might the lack of singing reflect in our joy in God? What might be a good litmus test to begin to diagnose how we need to grow in our joyous living? Well, friends, Christian, sing praises to God because we have the greatest of all hopes. Verse 15 of our passage, all David has to say is, Lord, open my lips and I'll, I'll declare praises to you. I'll declare your praise. Is that a reflection of our hearts towards God also? Is that something that we would say is true of us? Well, we can be certain that where there is little praise, there is little enjoyment of the work of God. And so verse 15 uh, is also declaring that God's praise isn't exactly the same thing as verse 14, where our tongues are singing aloud of God's righteousness. And so we declare God's praise not only by singing, but also in the very conduct of our lives, the way we treat coworkers, the way we treat our neighbors. In fact, our lives declare something about God to others. So don't be the angry old Christian who shakes your cane at kids and screams at them to get off your lawn. Instead, Declare God's greatness in our very lives to grow in Christian joy. We need our whole lives to declare God's greatness if we want to grow in Christian joy. So one time, my kids and I were at a guy's house. Uh, he didn't have any kids. And James, being three, uh, pulled some grass out of the ground out of his yard. And James was excited to show it to me. And the guy got upset and yelled at my three-year-old for pulling out grades of, blades of grass out of his lawn. By the way, that guy is a Christian. See, we declare God's praise not only in singing, but by the very conduct of our lives. So does your life reflect the kindness that God received by you and the kindness that you've passed on toward others? Or is the world just full of idiots that we need to avoid? Friends, we're called to humbly walk with God, not in mere form, not just on Sunday mornings, and then as soon as we get out the doors, we take off the Christian coat and do whatever we want to do. No, we're to humbly walk with God, with all of our heart, because to know God brings incredible joy. Friends, fight for the joyous Christian life by repenting from sin by sharing the gospel and living all to God. 
Let's look at this last part, verses 16 and 17, this heart love. In verses 16 and 17, David gives us some important insight to joyous living and its connection to pleasing God. In fact, we should recognize that joyous living is something that God delights in. Do you guys realize that? God delights when we delight in him. God delights when we are full of Christian joy. And so God delights us in delighting in him. God does not delight in us only thinking about him, but for what we think about him that then affects our very lives. So specifically, we're not just to think God is great and to have no joy, but instead we are to consider Christ's work for us on the cross, and that is to move us to joy. It's to then open up our lips to praise God. But here in verse 16 and 17, we also see that the right application of joy in our lives that God delights in isn't keeping our worship of God only to church. Our worship of God is supposed to go beyond. Verse 16 makes mention of sacrifices and burnt offerings, which are done at the temple. But, but David is saying that God isn't delighted in David's response to God being simply the formality of church. God wants to see our response to him exhibited throughout our very lives, specifically humbly dependent upon him. So the greatest worship we can have towards God are when our spirits and hearts humbly recognize God's mercy towards us daily, everywhere we go. David isn't saying, uh, it doesn't mean anything if we sing loud praises here in the congregation. Uh, David is saying, it doesn't mean anything if we do sing loud praises in the congregation and then fail to live lives of service to God throughout the rest of the week. David's saying, who cares how loud you sing at church if you don't do anything at home? David says, who cares how hot, tightly you hug someone at church if you aren't loving your neighbor? Here's the reality. Joyous living is not something that happens only on Sundays. It should be the general outlook of our lives every day of the week. So joyous living doesn't stop if the wrong person lives in the White House because we know the king of the universe who sits on the throne. Joyous living doesn't stop because money is tight because we know the king of the universe has rescued us and we find security in him. Joyous living doesn't get pushed aside because our job is difficult because the father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, and His Spirit indwells us and is transforming us to be more like Christ. And so while we can have every excuse to be grumpy and angry and have the angry brow outlook on life, none of those are a greater reality than Christ's work on the cross. None of those are able to Hide from us the reality of God's love towards us. In fact, we should see every single one of those situations through the lens of 
God has already sufficiently provided for us. So joyous living, it's not the only important part of the Christian life, but it is a key part of a healthy Christian life. And so with all the difficulties in the world today, let the bright hope of the gospel compel our thoughts, then compel our actions, and compel our living to unto God. And so let's humbly walk with God, not in form, not with a big smile on Sundays only, but with our very hearts and lives every single day. Because to know God, to know of his salvation, brings joy. Friends, fight for the joyous Christian life in our lives by repenting from sin, by sharing the gospel, and living all to King Jesus. COVID is still around us, but we can live joyous lives unto God for his glory and for our enjoyment of him, for our joy of God. Let's do that very thing. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that there is greater joy in you than the greatest thing in the world. Father, thank you that we do not have to settle for lesser joys that do not last and do not satisfy and always leave us wanting more. God, I thank you that the joy of the Christian life is better than every Christmas gift we got yesterday. God, thank you that every Christmas day, at the end of the day, there's a letdown because we know that those toys don't satisfy. We know that the gifts aren't what we ultimately need. Lord, thank you for the sending of your son, King Jesus, who has secured our place with you by his death on the cross and his defeat of death from the grave, and that that brings true eternal joy. So Lord, may your spirit be at work in us that gives us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Lord, may joy be what we live in and exhibit as Christians this year. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.